Blue Wire. Osweiler in trouble. Osweiler brought down Khalil Mack. Oh, here comes Bullshit. Whistle without a helmet. J.J. Watt will always put his fingerprints on a game. Steps up, and he's going to be hit from the side, and he's going down. That's a sack. Darius Leonard, the maniac. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Trench Warfare Podcast presented by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Brandon Thorne, and I brought back Duke Mannyweather again this week for another special episode that we're going to be doing where we're going to be selecting our all-underrated teams for the 2019 season on the offensive line. Uh, Duke, welcome back, man. Thanks for doing this again. I'm excited to do this. Uh, Brandon, thanks for having me again. Last week was fun. I think that everybody's going to enjoy this episode that we have for them. Yeah, yeah, and we've done the all-underrated team together, and we started doing this in, was it 2016, I believe? Um, Yeah, I think so. It might have been for the 2015 season. Yeah, or yeah, I think that I think you're yeah, right. I think, I think so. And we we always did like a film piece and uh, you know actual uh, scouting reports. Um, I think we're both busy to the point where we just felt like that the you know the pod space is probably uh, you know more efficient. And um, I think anybody that follows us kind of sees some of the stuff that we put out in terms of film work anyway. So you know you can kind of connect the dots. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So this this will be fun. I think this this is probably the best space to do this. So we'll just you know kick it right off and start. You know, we're we're only going to do a first team for this one as opposed to you know first second third team or whatever. So we'll we'll do our first team each position, and uh, we haven't talked about this one quite as much as we did the last time. So this should be interesting. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some names we mentioned that you know of, of guys that were in the consideration, but. Uh, for left tackle, um, I'll just I'll, I'll kick this one off. And uh, for me, I had to go with Anthony Costanzo. Um, I know we talked about this one a little bit, uh, but Costanzo, you know, had maybe the best year of his career this season. Um, yeah. And you know, he. I remember when you ranked uh, offensive lineman for Bleacher Report. Uh, I remember 2015, I think it was, where you had him yeah. pretty high up there. Um, and I went back and watched some of that film this week, actually, just to kind of get an idea of what he looked like then. And, you know, he, he's pretty much, you know, back to that form, if not a little bit better, uh, I thought. So this one was kind of a no brainer for me and he's played a hundred percent of snaps this season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm right there with you. And, you know, the thing about Costanzo is, uh, Back in 2015, I think I believe I had him in my top 15, which if you go back and look at the tackles in, that's including Joe Thomas, healthy Jason Peters, um, Tyron was playing his best ball, uh, you know, you had Trent Williams, you had Donald Penn, who probably had his best year that year. And so when you go back and factor all that in, and Costanzo's is still being the top 15 uh, with all those left tackles performing the way they did, you know, that really stuck out to me. Um, and this year I saw a lot of that on tape and even more refined than what he looked in 2015. Um, and I want to say, and I don't know this for sure. I don't know Costanzo, but I feel like the past two years, he's kind of battled injuries. Um, Mm -hmm. I know last year he, he showed flashes of being back to that 2015 self, but wasn't consistent. And I just think it's something to be said about 
him raising his level of play, almost like he's rejuvenated now that he's playing next to Quentin Nelson, things of that nature. So I absolutely uh, agree with you there with Anthony Costanzo. And I think it's important to kind of backtrack in here is we always kind of had this type of, uh, uh, you know, explanation in our article when we did our, our uh, all underrated team. But this all underrated is um, pretty much based upon, you know, somebody with obscure background or, you know, somebody that's not mainstream that people don't talk about or consider a top five talent or a pro bowl or all pro. But when you really turn on the tape, you know, you're looking at and they're really competing and performing at that level where it should be talked about. Yeah. Thanks for filling people in on that for sure. Uh, that's, that's kind of the, the intention of what we're doing here. And that's important for sure. And Costanzo fits that mold. Uh, he doesn't get mentioned alongside of a lot of the bigger names, but uh, this certainly was, was a really, really impressive season for him. Uh, another guy just quick that, you know, I think we talked about as well that you mentioned that I just want to give kind of a shout out to is Dion Dawkins um, yep. from the bills. Uh, he's, you know, he's a guy who, has been interesting for me uh, to watch. I watched him coming out a little bit, uh, you know, college, and I kind of thought that he was a guard. And I think that we talked about this as I well. Did too. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think he's kind of gradually settled in and improved each season at left tackle. And this year, he put together the best year of his career, and he plays like a guard in a lot of ways when you watch him. I mean, he's really physical um, and very strong and powerful. Uh, and you don't see a lot of left tackles really in that mold. So he's kind of unique in that way, and he's a lot of fun to watch and uh, fits right in with that offensive line in Buffalo who might be the most physical in the league, definitely in like the top five. Absolutely, I agree with you. And um, I thought that coming out of Temple, I thought Dawkins was going to be uh, a guy that he had to kick down inside. I thought he was going to be a very good guard. Um, I yeah. didn't see – him play tackle, I missed on that. I, I absolutely missed on that. I'm not afraid to admit in terms of the projection to tackle. Just because the way he played the game um, at um, tackle, I figured that he would make a good guard in terms of his aggressiveness and aggressive setting. He, was really, he wasn't afraid to take chances uh, with his hands. He would maul the hell out of you. So I think a lot of times that gets me in the mode of saying, hey, this guy could probably project. And I'm not one that all automatically kick a tackle inside just because he plays that way. But a lot of his traits and just his skill set that he had at Temple kind of, you know, said guard to me. But I tell you what, in that Buffalo scheme, um, for, what, for what it's worth, he is kicking butt at left tackle and does a really good job for Buffalo. Yeah, for sure. And he played 99.8% of snaps this year, so really consistent as well, um, always available, always on the field. Um, so he, he really set a tone this season and really, really impressive. And I, you know, I, was, I was wrong on him as well. So that's, that's really cool to see. Always, always good to see guys you know, exceed expectations. Um, you know, I think probably met Buffalo's expectations, but from the outside, I mean. Um, but for, for left guard, um, do you want to you wanna go for left guard first? Go ahead. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Who do you think left guard is? Okay. Uh, so there's two names for me. I think, you know, I'll probably just go with Joe Tooney uh, at, at left guard. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, he, it's kind of, it's kind of weird though, because to me, Tooney isn't underrated, but I think, you know, mainstream wise, he is probably still underrated. Uh, yeah. I feel like he's, he, he's definitely probably the best. This is the best season he's had. 
I think his hand usage is even better this season in terms of how quickly he's creating leverage on guys and pass protection. I think in the past, because he's a little undersized and maybe not the strongest guy, he tried to be maybe a little over aggressive at times and it would result in him, you know, his strike timing being a little off, being a little early, uh, you know, on trying to get guys into their frame and it caused him to kind of whiff and miss, miss sometimes and just kind of overextend himself. Um, but this season, I feel like he's really settled down and played more within himself more than he ever has, especially in pass protection. And he's been a really good run blocker for a while, I think. Um, really good puller and uh, just really a really good understanding of leverage. And I think that's kind of the way that he's always been um, since he played left tackle in college. Uh, he's, he's made the transition inside very nicely, and he's kind of their backup or emergency tackle as well, um, as far as I know. Um, and he's played 99% of snaps this season. And uh, so I, I just went with him because I think, you know, we haven't included him on a team yet, even though he's been worthy in the past. So I figured, you know, we'll put him on this team and just kind of get his name out there a little bit more because he's a really good football player. Yeah, you know what? And I think um, a lot of people started paying attention to him um, after the Super Bowl because of the job that he was not Donald. afraid to take yeah. chances against Aaron Donald. I mean, mm -hmm. he would jump the hell out of Donald. He changed up his set from short setting to jump setting. Um, and, you know, to me, I think we saw it a lot. I don't think people gave him enough credit, but he's definitely in that. Um, I, I definitely thought about Joe's honey, but uh, who I have is Ramon Foster at left guard. I think that Ramon Foster just goes about his business, I think, in year eight or nine now and really doesn't get talked about. But he's played a lot of football for the Pittsburgh Steelers and – He's very, very consistent in what he does. It's not pretty. There's not a lot of stuff that you can turn, turn on and say this is textbook, but he's highly effective. And, again, I mean, he's been a mainstay for the Steelers right there in the middle. That entire interior has played a lot of football for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, yeah, for sure. Their, their continuity is pretty much unmatched, I think, over the last, like, four or five years. Um, so, and Foster's a big part of that. He has 145 starts, so... Yeah. He, he's been doing it for, for a long time now. Um, he's really, that's, that's you know, he's, he's kind of a, a good selection for this team year in and year out. A guy I want to just give a shout out to as well um, is Roger Saffold, uh, just because you know, he may not be that underrated. But this season, I think he is because he's been dominant at times. He's battled some injuries, but really the second half of the year, he has been, I think, one of the top three or four run blocking left guards in the league. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not even, it's not even close. And the, the thing about, I was going to mention Sapo too. Um, not, but I want to, I want to preference it because one, he was a high, high dollar free agent. Right. That's um, why I didn't put And two, that. you know, he wasn't so much underrated, but the reason why now I want to mention this is because, and I don't, I don't know why it bothers me, but early on in the season, media and fans exactly. gave Roger Saffold such a hard time yep. saying that he was overpaid, mm -hmm. he sucked, yada, yada, yada. And I don't know what they were watching. What, you could tell that he was battling through some things, but, I mean, his level of play was still really, really high in terms of playing left guard in that, you know, he got over the hump around week six or seven, and he went back to Saffold that was, like, dominant from last year. 
I mean, like you said, he had some games where he was completely dominant. So I'm not sure where the narrative came from that, you know, he sucked or whatever people want to say. Yeah, it, I mean, it happened when he, he got beat in pass protection a couple times by guys like Grady Jarrett early in the year and um, maybe a couple of those edge rushers that can't come inside and play the stand-up three technique. I can't remember who, but a couple guys like that beat him in pass protection. And that's the only thing that I saw, but, you know, people can, you know, latch on to whatever they want to sometimes and, you know, a couple plays here and there and all of a sudden they create a narrative that's BS. Um, and I think that's really what happened with him. Um, but when you watch him closely, uh, he, he's been excellent. So, um, yeah, so moving on. Uh, for, for center, for me, I'm going to go with Corey Lindsley uh, for the yep. Green Bay Packers. Um, he, he's another guy. You could put him on this list over the last four or five years, really. I started watching him when he was splitting time with J.C. Treader uh, in Green Bay, and I always liked him more. Um, and, I did, too. Yeah, I, I just I back then I I really thought that he was a really good zone run blocker. Um, you could see the things that he was doing, reaching shades, and he's doing that now at a very high level. I mean, um, he has you know like a jump snatch kind of reach, a jump hook, uh, excuse me, that he yeah. uses that is filthy, um, and he's used that a lot over his career this year included. Um, so I, I was really excited this year because when Matt Lafleur came into Green Bay, he installed that heavy outside zone scheme, perfect fit for him, and he's had one of the best years of his career because of that. Um, played ninety four percent of snaps. Um, so for me, it was Lindsley. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to pick Lindsley as well, but another guy. There's two guys I want to mention as well, and there's not so much a, you know, you know, we wanted to let this to one team, but. Uh, another guy that should be in heavy consideration, though, is Joey Hunt. Uh, what he's done for filling in for Justin Briggs um, for the Seahawks and some of the blocks that he's made this year. I think you circulated a block. Of, uh, he was held by a D-tackle. He was able to That's spin true. around and come off a block and just make a outstanding second-level block. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hunt has done a really nice job filling in for the injured uh, Brent all week, I mean, all year. So he's a guy that's worth mentioning. And then also another guy that's worth mentioning that I don't think gets enough credit. He was paid um, after the first game of the season, but I think you have to put him in the underrated category because I don't think his own fan base appreciates him, and I think he's in the shadow of his older brother, Zach Martin. That's Nick Martin. Nick Martin is a solid football player, really solid center down there um, for the Houston Texans, and has played at a very, very um, you know high level for the Texans this year, and um, it clearly warrants him getting paid after the first game of the season. Ever see an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. So you can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. I have checked out their site. They have wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. I personally think that the flannels are the way to go, especially with the winter season. But with Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And, of course, their website, it's really easy to use. They have a whole page devoted to helping you find your exact fit. So I would definitely check them out. 
And whether you're shopping for holidays um, or you're trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Yeah, that's a good one. He definitely deserves a mention uh, there for sure. Um, and yeah, uh, he, he's been he's been good pretty much right away. I think uh, he's he's also another guy that's got a bad rap in Hunt and Seattle. I think a lot of people, Seattle writers and and, and people on Twitter, um, focus on what he doesn't do and what he can't do, and that's really you know being undersized. You know his, yeah. his anchor sometimes you know can suffer because of that, but. Again, I think one of the biggest things that you can do when you're watching film on these guys is try to find out and try to search for what they do do well and try to, you know, see if that's consistent or not. And Hunt's a guy who's very easy. It's very easy to see what he cannot do, but it takes a little bit more of a closer look to see the little things that he's doing at a high level. Um, So I think that that's a really good pick there because he's a guy who gets a bad rap as well. Um, and, uh, moving on to, to right guard, uh, I, I think we may have the same one here, but maybe not, uh, Larry Warford, uh, yeah. for the, for the saints, um, last year he made the pro bowl and started to get some recognition, but he's been a, a solid to good football player for a long time now, going back to his days. Yeah, he's been very good this year. Yeah, he, he's been very good this year for sure. And I think he, you know, last year was cool to see get the Pro Bowl recognition this year, kind of, you know, gotten overlooked a lot. But he's he's been very good, like you said. Uh, really, really good run blocker. Um, creates great movement at the point of attack. Him and Ryan Ramchek and even to his left uh, with McCoy at center on double doubles and combos. They're devastating at the point of attack. They, they work really well off each other. Um, so I, that's what stands out to me the most when I watch him and he's, he's gotten a lot better in pass protection since his days in Detroit as well. So, um, you know, he's, he, he's a good football player. He, you know, maybe a little bit vulnerable sometimes to really good speed rushers, uh, you know, but you know, the, none of these guys are, you know, perfect or anything. I don't want to knock them, but, um, you know, Warford for me is, is the pick. Yeah, absolutely. I think Mary Warford has played very well this year. Um, and again, another guy, and actually the same to be said about his uh, left guard on the side. I don't think uh, yeah. a lot of people, even in the media and in the fan base, appreciate those two guards for the Saints. Uh, and I think they didn't appreciate them until they did not play the past couple of weeks. They both came back this past week, and it was an added boost against Carolina. I think not seeing them together play for a couple of weeks. I think that fan base and media definitely got to see uh, just what life would be if those guys weren't in the lineup for a certain period of time. But Walford definitely, I think you hit the nail on the head, tremendous run blocker. Um, he kind of do it all in terms of gap scheme, um, any type of zone blocking, really effective on the second level, whether it's in the run game or out of screens, uh, just some devastating combo blocks and, you know, being able to scrape off and get to the second level and pill on the linebacker, um, you know. So, Larry Walford is a guy that I think doesn't get enough respect in the league that is consistently fun to watch. Yeah, and just kind of a little bit more on his run blocking. One specific thing, kind of a nuanced thing that stands out to me, we talked about combo blocks, but to break that down a little bit more for me is 
especially with Ramchek, when he's coming off of a combo and Ramchek's overtaking, he does an outstanding job of using that backside hand and providing help and getting guys pushed over and knocked over a gap. That's the thing to me when I watch him that really stands yeah. out. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. He does a great job of using that backside hand, clearing up a read or throwing a guy out of the club, just creating torque mm-hmm. um, and really clearing that lane up. It's fun to watch a lot of big blocks come off of Larry's uh, you know, backside hand. Yeah, for sure. And uh, This one's going to be interesting um, for right tackle. Uh, so... I know we talked about a couple guys, but I'm going to go here with a little bit of a surprise maybe, and he may not be that underrated overall, but I still think he is, and that's Orlando Brown um, for the Ravens. Um, so for me, uh, you know, a guy who's played 100% of his snaps this season, and when you watch him, uh, he, he is kind of similar to Trent Brown, and I mean, they're both the biggest guys in the league, you know, at offensive line, and uh, you know, it really helps them in pass protection because you know his frame, his length, and his girth really uh, are overwhelming for the majority of pass rushers that he goes against. And I think that he's a little bit more nuanced of a pass protector than given credit for uh, switching up his sets even and things like that. You can watch him against T.J. Watt. He did some good things against him uh, over the last couple seasons, really. Um, and I think he uses his hands pretty well. He, he, you know, he throws a lot of two-hand strikes, and he's pretty devastating with that, but he throws a little bit of independent stuff in there as well, um, and he's a pretty good run blocker, um, in my opinion, as well. Uh, you know, Playing alongside Yonda certainly helps him in all facets, but um, I think he's been he's exceeded uh, most people's expectations, I think, the, le- the first couple of years in the league, and I think he's probably going to be good for, for quite a while. Yeah, I'm going to go with Brian O'Neill, actually. And the reason why I say this is because, for one thing, right tackles don't get enough respect in, on, the, you know, just on the national level. And so when you have guys like Lane Johnson that kind of lead the pack and, you know, your Mitchell Schwartz and, you know, your Brian Belagas and your Lyle Collins and your Ryan Ramchek now, you know, that next tier of guys really doesn't get talked about. So you want with Orlando Brown. Brian O'Neill's done a phenomenal job. Um, I think last year and this year both, O'Neal has showed that he is a young talent that uh, Minnesota should be excited about. Um, if he continues to develop like I think he will, uh, he's just an extremely talented uh, athlete that has now started to build a game, especially in his pass protection. You don't see speed rushers really beat him much. Uh, when he does get in trouble, it's because of, you know, his inability to anchor against extreme speed to power. Yeah. But for the most part, he's very crafty with his hands. Um, that outside zone scheme he picked up with Rick Dennison being the O-line coach. And I just think that, uh, again, you got to be excited about Brian O'Neill. I'm excited to see him play um, in the playoffs coming up, um, especially going against uh, the likes of Cam Jordan. Yeah, yeah, tough matchup for him, but that's going to be a, a big test that, you know, he can he can prove a lot of people wrong in, in that one, I think, because Cam Jordan's game is speed to power, um, yep. you know, and that's that's kind of his weakness, like you said. But O'Neal's a guy I absolutely loved coming out of pit. I only got to watch three games of him. Uh, that was only that was all that was available to me. But in those three games, I saw a very, very special athlete, like you said, a guy whose play speed is elite. Um, you know, climbing to the second level and the third levels. I mean, he did stuff in college that was 
I mean, he was picking off safeties, you know, like it was like pretty routinely um, on the field. Yeah. And uh, so and that, I think that he had like three touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, that too. They yeah, they threw screens to him and stuff. Um, Reverse screen. Yeah, there's a couple of things they did with him. Yeah, uh, he's, but yeah, he's, he's really developing into uh, potentially something that can be, you know, uh, a mainstay on that side of the O line for a very long time for Minnesota, especially with, uh, you know, and we'll get into this later, but I think that you've you got to have, and we talk about this all the time, you got to have two tackles and kind of do it all. There's no such thing as just, oh, yeah, the left tackle is a more, more talented tackle. And I think, and we'll talk about this, but I think Lane Johnson kind of set that standard for, you know, tackles and, you know, having that same type of athleticism to set the market on the right side as you do on the left. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about that. It's, you know, that just to piggyback on it a little bit, left tackles still from top to bottom are a lot more talented than right tackles just because the league is still playing catch-up and, you know, there's still, you know, right tackles are still kind of trickling in um, at, the, you know, a similar level that the left tackles are. You've seen it the last few years with guys like Ramchek and Lyle Collins. Um, you know, Lane started it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's catching up quick and, you know, the value is similar or, you know, pretty much equal, but there's just better left tackles, you know, playing because of that's the way it's been for so long, but it certainly is evening out and it's, you know, as it should, because pass rushers right now are coming off both sides, even maybe even more so off the right tackle. So, yeah, you can make the argument that every year the playing field in terms of the talent on the right side and left side uh, tends to even out just a bit because every year we're starting to add another right tackle to that list that we say, oh, this guy's in a conversation. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago there were three that we talked about all the time. And that was Lane, that was Mitch, that was Belaga. Okay? Now we've got five or six that are going, okay, wait a minute now. And then when you get Joe Thomas that retires, you know, Mm-hmm. then, you know, it starts to teeter a little bit. You know, certain guys getting injuries. If you look at it just this year alone, with Joe Thomas having retired, uh, Tyron battling some injuries, uh, you know, Trent Williams not playing this year. Now, when you go and look at, all right, who are our top left tackles and who are our type, top right tackles, I mean, you can make the argument that, again, it's good on good on both sides, you know. When you look at even some of the top, uh, duels in terms of right tackle and left tackles. Green Bay, for example, two very good tackles. They have a conversation for top tackles in position. When you look at Philly, yeah, they got two of the best in the league, you know, with, you know, Lane and Jason Peters. When you look at, and people, again, people don't talk about Eric Fisher enough, but when you look at Kansas City, you got Fisher and you got Mitch Schwartz. Um, New Orleans, of course. That, yeah, and New Orleans, I mean, hell. You got New Orleans, you got Dallas, so yep. there's no such thing for like the left tackle just being, you know, the the dominant player on the line. I mean, these these units that have good tackles, they're starting to have two really good tackles. Is what's happening. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, there's going to be a little bit of a changing of the guard here shortly with Whitworth and Staley. You know, they, I mean, they could play as long as they want, but they're definitely, you know, they're in their late thirties. So once those guys, you know, call it a career in the next couple of years, it's going to be even closer. So, um, 
Yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting to watch, and it's it's evening out with time. Um, you know, just to kind of match what defenses are doing, so it makes sense. Well, here's the here's the thing: is that every year teams are going in, scouting, evaluating, and drafting every year to try to replace a lot of these guys. Okay, back to the back. But there should be something to be said about the length of career that guys like Whitworth have had, guys like Joe Salia have, guys like Donald Penn have had, Jason Peters have had. Uh, you know, when you look at Joe Thomas, these guys can't be replaced. Not only are they special and rare type talents, but teams have thought that they have drafted their replacements. Every year, oh, this guy's going to, I mean, I remember, if you read a lot of stuff online, Jason Peters retired five years ago, six years ago, you know, and it's just not the case. And that's a testament to not only how good these guys are, but how little people really understand that what they're saying is special. And it's not just because a guy was good in college and they're coming in and be able to dominate, uh, the same way in the pros. And so these guys are able to hold on to their jobs for a reason. And I think people need to understand that the, the general public that, you know, these tackles and what we're seeing and even a lot of these lines, but the reason why they're playing so long and they're able to have these 14, 15 year careers outside of what they're doing to take care of their bodies. But nobody's taking their job. Plain and simple. (laughs) Plain and simple. No matter, and it is the job of the GMs, all the stuff, to try to replace these guys every year. Yeah, yeah, you saw that. I I remember, you know, people talked about Mike McGlinchey taking over left tackle sooner rather than later. Um, You know, I like McGlinchey, and he's a right tackle. You know, it's a really good duo. But I remember a lot of San Francisco writers were saying, "Yeah, he's going to take over for Staley this season." Um, This was the year that he was supposed to switch. Um, which you know never really made any sense, um, but you know Staley obviously is, is still a stud. And there was another one I remember when you know Spriggs came out. Um, I remember people oh, saying yeah. you know he's going to take Bulaga's job, um, but yeah. you know that obviously didn't make any sense, and that's bared out as well. And, and there's been a lot of examples, but those are just two that come to mind. Um, but I'm sure there's yeah, same, same thing. Same thing. I mean. And I think Dillard's going to be really, really good. You know, he's got to be a little yeah. stronger. He's got to get better with his hands. But, you know, people said that they need to cut Jason Peters this year because, you know, they had everything they needed. Dillard, you know. Yeah. And it's like, let these guys develop. You know, I've said this before. When you look at a development curve, in high school, you got four years to develop into a college player. You're so lucky to move on. In college, if you do it right, um, you know, three to four years, you know, you can leave college and go to the pros. Um, even the Olympic development cycle is four years. When we get to the NFL, we're so ready to give up on guys immediately after year one. Not even year one. Middle through the year, a guy's a bust if they're not playing up to the, to the standard that, you know, media or fans and the expectations that they placed on them. And it's like, is it the player or is it, the expectation placed upon the player that is not fulfilling because of what you think it should look like or how it should be or how fast his development track should be. And so I just, I don't, I don't like the idea of giving up on players so fast and, you know, give these guys some time to develop, get into a system, especially some of these guys that are, you know, getting in there with good teams and good coaches and a good room around them. 
a lot of times these players learn so much more from each other and being in a good room than they would, you know, the coaches. So I think that's important to consider as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Leo Collins is the most recent example of that. A lot of people were down on him, um, you know, having to switch positions like he did. I don't know if they factored that in enough. Uh, going from left guard to right tackle, and uh, but but people were were so quick to to judge him and say that you know he wasn't any good, and now you know he's the best run blocking right tackle in the NFL and one of the top five or six right tackles in the league all of a sudden. So perfect example, I think, of what you're talking about in a great room with a lot of great veterans and a good coach and you know whatnot, and he's you know the latest in the line of that. And I'm hoping that uh, Cam, Cam Robinson might be next, but. Lael, yeah, let's not, and let's and let's not dismiss the fact that uh, talking about Lael's development, Lael, in you know essentially four years, had three O line coaches. You know, because yeah. Frank Pollock was the O line coach, and then you know when Frank moved on, uh, they ended up hiring Paul Alexander, which he ended up getting fired seven games in. Um, you saw a regression of the O line in Dallas, and then with Mark Colombo coming on, you know, you really saw a big development curve, but um, you know, that's a testament again to that coaching, and then also the guys in the room, you know, there's a lot of good guys in that room that played a lot of football, and so you can't help but to, to develop um, in a situation like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Eric Fisher's another one, you know, of course he... Yeah. Yeah, developed a little late there, um, but, you know, he did. And, you know, I, I think that's a great point. That's something I think about often is, you know, guys or people in the media, you know, I think it has to do a lot with, you know, just kind of the way we are now a lot in society, you know, microwave society, you know, people want things to happen real right now, right away. And offensive line is maybe the most skilled position in the game, um, you know, so it's it's very unnatural. It takes time you know, and continuity, you know, there's so many factors in, in the situation, the environment, it matters so much for every position, I think, in football, but offensive line, especially that you have to look at all the surrounding factors, not to mention the off field stuff, which, you know, most people don't even, you know, know about. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of factors there, man. But um, yeah, I appreciate you going into that and touching on that, because I think it's really important. No problem at all, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. So we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, we, you know, we're going to be back uh, here doing another podcast probably within the next week or two, and um, it's, it's going to be a big one. And we're really excited about it. We're going to be doing our all all decade team uh, for the offensive line, and we're going to go five positions deep, or, or excuse me, five players deep at each position. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, so make sure you guys look out for that. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time, thanks for listening to the Trench Warfare Podcast.